Chapter 2 of The Gargoyle by Greya Lespina. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Ben Tucker. Chapter 2 An Appeal for Help. Even in Prohibition days, a man can, at a pinch, provide himself with brandy or whiskey if he knows where to go for it. And there are moments when such stimulants are grave necessities. The emergency called for Luke's flask and he had the satisfaction a little later of seeing the occultist's pale blue eyelids flicker and tighten, as if apprehensive of what they might look upon if they opened. "'All right, friend Cagliostro?' queried the artist, giving the fainting man a slight shake. The squinting eyes opened widely and fell upon Luke's handsome face in the full glare of the headlights. The squared mouth relaxed with obvious relief. Benny reached out convulsively to grasp Luke's hand. "'God be thanked!' You are real, oh, oh. And then the thought of something came back to him, for he staggered up from the roadway, looking apprehensively in the direction from which he had been running. Did you see anything? He quavered. Very little of the impressive initiate left in his manner. Did, was there anything after me? Luke shook his head. He peered down the road, but there was nothing now. The car stood quiet. The shadows, which had but a few minutes ago been slinking from trunk to trunk, now remained in ominous hiding. The roadway loomed darkly upon a steep and stony slope, unlighted by the headlights because of its pitch. "'Can you... can you turn around here?' quavered Herbert Benny, one pudgy hand grasping Luke's firm arm. "'Why should I turn around?' disgustedly. "'Because... because this isn't the right road for you, Mr. Porter.' "'I took the first road to the left,' disputed Luke.' This is the way to Bowers Ridge, isn't it? Benny let out a squeak of nervous laughter, which he almost as instantly hushed, with that same apprehensive look up the road. You took the first turn to the left, he explained, but this is a private lane, not the first road to the left, which you should have taken about half a mile farther on. This is a private lane leading to Fainwald, he finished. Luke stared at him, half irritated, half amused. And you were careful to confuse me so that I would take it and appear at Fainwald as your assistant, he accused. Well, now that I'm here, do you mind telling me if you were coming to meet me? If not, why were you running away? Good God, I wasn't meeting anybody, cried the occultist wildly. I was, well, not running away, he stopped, then went on a little defiantly. Yes, I was running away. You'd have done it too if you'd been in my place. God, if you'd seen what I did... His voice rose in a shrill tremolo of emotion. I saw the devil himself. Yes, I did. Don't dispute me, Mr. Porter, I beg of you. I'm not a lunatic, I'm a sane man. I'm a man who has seen many strange supernatural phenomena. But never before, never, I say, did I see the devil in propria persona. Good God, it was horrible. You'd better get into my car, suggested the artist. I'll go along here and take a look at Beelzebub, friend Cagliostro. When we found him, you'll probably discover you're mistaken. No, 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 denied the occultist hurriedly. I couldn't have been mistaken. The taxi driver left me about a hundred yards from the castle draw, because he was superstitious. I walked up to the moat by myself, carrying my bags, and I was standing there, wondering how I could announce my arrival when the moon came out from behind the clouds and I saw that the draw was down. Well prompted Luke, waiting impatiently, foot over the starter. And there was something 
something uncanny about it. About what? The draw being open? With irony. No, no, no. There was somebody leaning over the side of it, looking down into the moat. I, I went over to speak to him, to it, and it raised its monstrous countenance and looked at me, and my god, it was the devil himself. Now, friend Cagliostro, you know as well as I that his satanic majesty isn't in the habit of strolling around in flesh and blood the way you're telling me, reproved Luke, starting the car. Oh, don't go back, don't! Turn around, I beg of you. If you drive ahead, you'll meet it, too. I'm going to drive ahead, friend Benny. If you don't like it, get out now and walk. I have a mind to see your devil for myself. At least the experience cannot fail to be stimulating, Luke grinned to himself. But his terrible eyes, his hideous smile, that bloated, misshapen nose, the purple face like decomposing flesh, the twisted, frightful mouth, good God, Mr. Porter, you don't know what a hideous thing you're going to confront. Turn back while there is yet time, turn... Shut up, snapped Luke. A fine occultist you are, to let a mere ugly demon terrify you to such an extent. This dig was too much for the dignity of the occultist who sank back in his seat in silence, evidently trying hard to regain something of his previous composure and impressiveness. Luke was obliged to go into low, up the slope, which was not only very steep, but covered with large rolling stones over which his car slipped and skidded unpleasantly. But when the summit of the rise had been reached, he was rewarded by an astonishing sight. The moon was bright in an unclouded sky. Her light threw into high relief the battlements of what might have been an ancient medieval castle, while black shadows blocked out the approach to the great pile of massive granite blocks, so that the drawbridge of which the occultist had spoken remained in darkness. The headlights of the car fell upon this spot as Luke maneuvered the roadster for that purpose, disclosing a bridge across a moat at least ten feet wide. The bridge was solitary. No one stood there in the glare of the headlights, but just inside the portal of the draw a man waited, so impassively that he seemed a wax figure, arrayed in the ancient garb of an old-time page with doublet and hose. "'Is that your devil?' Luke laughed. Cagliostro drew a long breath of relief. "'No, that isn't the thing I saw. That was unutterably horrible. This is just a man, I imagine.' The car went closer. As it approached the draw, the page came out, holding up one hand and warning. His voice fell clearly, in quite good English, on the night air. He, at least, was flesh and blood. Don't drive over the bridge, sir, if you please. You will find the garage around at the side of the castle to your right, sir. If you will be kind enough to put up your car and come back here on foot, I'll send a man to get your bags, sir. Evidently we're expected. Luke murmured to his companion. I've half a mind to go in, friend Cagliostro. He thinks you are my assistant, whispered the occultist. His voice was under control now. Are you, will you? Yes, I am, and I will, decided Luke, curiosity getting the better of him. Send a man for our bags, he called to the servant, who bowed and disappeared within. At the left of the castle there seemed to be no road, but the roadway at the right had been given a little attention. Ruts had been smoothed out, stones removed. Halfway down beside the castle moat, a large granite garage loomed up. Luke drove the roadster into it, and a minute later two men, also arrayed in medieval costume, appeared and picked up his bags. 
painting paraphernalia he left in the car. Where are your bags, friend Cagliostro? he inquired. The occultist shifted the pale blue eyes uneasily from Luke's amused gray orbs. I, uh, left them in front of the draw, he admitted. When you... Oh, excuse me, I understand, grinned Luke as he followed the servants back to the draw. The thing that the artist did not like was that as they entered the courtyard within those lofty stone walls, a creaking sound announced that the drawbridge was being raised. A quick look behind him confirmed this suspicion. He and Cagliostro Moderno were now cut off from the outside world as completely as if they had been immured in a jail, in solitary confinement. Those high walls meant no escape. That wide moat might not be deep enough for a plunge from the battlements. Luke was suddenly glad to remember that in one of his bags was an automatic. If you have no objection, sir, one of the men asked Luke, much to the occultist's discomfiture, taking the artist for the principal of the two. The master would like to have you wait for ten minutes on the roof garden until your rooms are made ready. He cannot see you tonight as he is occupied within an important experiment. We will await his pleasure, hastily exclaimed the occultist, assuming the lead with dignity. He had once more swung his mantle about his plump form, and was permitting only the button nose and squinting eyes to appear above one edge of it. Luke shrugged indifferent shoulders as he followed the page up a winding staircase in a tower that rose on one side of the courtyard. They emerged upon what seemed to be a kind of roof garden, located on the broad top of one of the side walls of the castle, and wide enough to cover not only the wall but part of that portion of the building. Here the servitor paused, hesitated, then turned directly to Loop. The master has directed me, sir, to ask that you pace back and forth along this central path until I can come for you a little later. Luke stared, a quirk of amusement twisting his mobile lips. Is that a suggestion or a command? he inquired pleasantly. Oh, sir, the master always has a good reason backed of the most absurd, that is, apparently absurd, requests, the man amended hastily. How about me? bristled the occultist. Perhaps he means that it is I who am to walk back and forth. It is I who am the... Pardon me, sir, but it is the younger man to whom the master's request is directed, the page said respectfully. Cagliostro retired, slightly peevish to seat himself on a rustic bench at one side of the narrow path. Luke, with much inward curiosity and amusement, strode back and forth along the pebbled way. The page disappeared. Luke, passing the doorway as he walked, suddenly stopped short, his head jerking to instant attention without turning it in the direction of what he heard. It was a voice, a husky, pleading woman's voice, whispering tensely. Don't turn your head. Pretend to be looking at the moon. But if you are a gentleman, don't leave this place without seeing Alden first. Alden, for God's sake, don't fail me. Look, the light. From the master's tower. I must go or he will see me here. At four in the morning. On this roof garden is the safest place. The voice ceased. There was the slightest rustle as of a woman's garments. And then a blinding ray of light shot across the garden, disclosing everything as brightly as in broad daylight. Startled out of his astonishment at that mysterious and appealing feminine voice, Luke sprang out of the path of the ray, only to find it following him persistently as he walked. Lord, what's that? gasped Cagliostro, jumping to his feet. 
Somebody's turning a searchlight on us, the artist decided as he stopped to peer past the light, but it was too blinding. I think I understand, gabbled the occultist, the pale eyes thrust up into Luke's perplexed face. It's him taking a look at me, proudly. He asked you to walk so that he could tell which of us was which. After this reflection, he hurried to seat himself again on the rustic bench, posing importantly. Darned impudent of Mr. Fane, Luke decided. Must be an eccentric of the first water. He deliberately turned his back to the searchlight, which played about the garden, then back to him, almost as if suggesting that he walk again. But he stood deliberately still. Within five minutes, the page appeared in the doorway and indicated that the two were to follow him. Winding passages gave place to steep and narrow staircases, dimly lighted by scattered candles guttering against dark walls. Stairways led to corridors across which tiny slits in the stone of the outer walls threw occasional threads of faint moonlight. At last, the servant threw open the door of a room, motioned Cagliostro to enter, left him standing there with a vague disturbed expression on his face, and led Luke to another room around a turn in the same corridor. If there is anything you'd like, sir, just ring for me. The electric button is here. My name is Mason, by the way, sir. It is um, the master's desire that you drink a goblet of hot wine, sir, after your cold drive. I will bring it presently. He threw open a door at one side of the great apartment, disclosing a luxuriously appointed private bath. I think you will be very comfortable, sir. Luke looked about him. Observing the tapestry-hung walls, the thickly carpeted floor, the overstuffed armchairs, the immense antique bed, he nodded appreciatively. I think I shall, he agreed. Thank your master for the hot wine, he added. It will be doubly welcome. Mason bowed and disappeared. Urged by he knew not what motive, but with the feeling that he would like to be secured against intrusion in this strange place, the artist made a hasty examination of the room. Lifting tapestries to peer behind them for hidden doors, and pulling up the bigger rugs for trapdoors, he grinned as he did so, feeling his actions absurd. But the absurdity of it did not keep him from making a thorough examination of his surroundings. The conclusion he arrived at was that he was secure from intrusion from the bathroom, but that any of those blocks of granite forming the walls might be, in reality, secret doors. Anything he felt would be possible, plausible in this strange castle. His thoughts ran to the voice of that unseen woman who had asked him to meet her in the roof garden at four that morning. Was it a man or a woman whom he was to meet? A man? Alden? Luke prepared for the night by slipping on a dressing gown and slippers to blind Mason. When the man appeared with the steaming goblet of wine, he was told to leave it on the stand by the bed. I'll drink it a little later, the artist said casually. Spice rather heavily, isn't it? It makes a good nightcap, sir, Mason remarked, a rather odd expression passing over his face. This unguarded look was not lost on Luke, who inwardly decided not to drink the wine, although it smelled enticing. I understand from uh, Mr. Moderno, sir, that you've both dined. Is there anything else I can do for you, sir? No, sir? Thank you. Mason retired, closing the heavy door behind him. Luke at once went across the room, found a massive key, and turned it in the great hand-hammered bronze lock. That door at least should be impassable. Then from his bag he took an electric torch and his automatic, 
slipping them into different pockets of his coat, which he now reassumed. The spicy odor of the steaming wine penetrated to every corner of the room, affecting Luke soporifically. He picked up the goblet, carried it into the bathroom, and emptied it. He could not afford to sleep this first night in Feinwald. End of chapter 2